This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I am so excited because I have a reader here today. His name is Scott. And um, I cannot wait to hear Scott's story. So, Scott, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much. So tell me, tell me about uh, kind of where did it all begin for you and, and who are you? Yeah, well, I, uh, I live in Maine uh, and uh, I've got two kids and a wife. And uh, I got sober about uh, almost six months ago now, almost exactly six months ago now. Uh, oh, uh, largely in part due to reading this naked mind. Uh, you know, I had struggled for a while and I can get into that a bit later, but I'd struggled for a while with wanting to stop and should I stop and all of those questions, uh, that we all ask ourselves. Um, but I, I did, and you know, my drinking toward, toward the end of the time I was drinking, it was, a, I was a daily drinker for sure. Um, and it kind of got to the point where it was, whatever was in the house was what I had. Um, uh, that was during the week and then on the weekends, you know, it was all bets were off. So, um, it was something I definitely, I, I, I guess I say I remained responsible, but I wasn't super responsible, but, um, I never got into trouble or had any, you know, DUIs or any of these, you know, crazy stories that, that you can hear on this stuff. Um, but I knew what I was doing wasn't the right thing to do. Right. Um, and I have, you know, alcoholism runs in my family. Um, and I have been aware of this since I was a teenager. Um, but I always like, yeah, it's not me, right? It's not me until one day it seemed like it was. Right. Um, and I had to figure that out. And unfortunately that day was like five years ago. And since then I lived in this like turmoil about what to do about it and how do I handle it? And do I go to a AA? Like, how do I do this? Um, and, uh, yeah. So finally about, like I said, six months ago, I, I, I put it down for good. That's awesome. So yeah, let's talk about that because I think that's one of the things that, you know, I have take such an issue with and the same was for me. I mean, it was definitely years of knowing that I was not drinking at levels that made me happy anymore, knowing that it wasn't, it wasn't serving me. You know, I felt like there was a period of time where I felt in the driver's seat with alcohol and I felt like, okay, fine. And then all of a sudden I was certainly in the passenger seat and I was being taken on a ride that I did not like the looks of where it was going. And, um, but it took such a long time. And I have my own ideas for me about why that took such a long time. Uh, but I'd love to hear from you. Like, what were you feeling? What was going on in your head? Uh, what sort of fears did you have during that five years? Sure. Uh, first of all, I might say that being in the passenger seat with alcohol is probably a better idea in some aspects of the phrase. Um, but um, yeah. So I didn't I didn't start drinking till I was in college actually till I graduated from high school, um, and before then I really didn't like it. Um, and part of that was um, just being around alcoholism when I was younger. Um, it was just I don't know I it was just something I was I was think I was afraid of it. Um, and in some aspects I think I kind of always knew like dude if you start down this path like it's <laughs> I I knew what the slope might be like for me and I think I was afraid of it but. You know, peer pressure overridden that and whatever. And, you know, I got through college and then and I moved to New York City after I graduated and I moved to New York alone and didn't know anyone. And that's when things really started to pick up. 
Um, and I've been through ups and downs, but it, to answer your question directly, um, you know, my, in my experience, it's, it's a helpless feeling. I think, you know, that that's probably the, the, the best way I can describe it is I feel like things aren't going the way I want them to. I was afraid for some reason to admit that I had a problem. And I think maybe it's because even though I know and love people who are in AA, but I still have this, and they're not like this at all, just to be clear, but I still have this picture of like an AA meeting and, you know, cigarettes and coffee and all these strung out people. And this, it just was something I just felt like I didn't want to, I didn't want to admit to that. Um, and so I tried here and there, like I'd call someone and be like, Hey, do you think I have a problem? Which is great because, you know, with the exception of the, you know, my dad is the one that that's been an AA and he was very supportive. And like, if you think you have a problem, you know, only you can decide, but he was good. But a lot of my friends who, some of who now, by the way, are, are in AA, <laughs> I'd be like, Hey man, do you think I have a drinking problem? And then I think it's like you point out in your book, like as soon as you say that to someone, it makes them think about themselves. Mm -hmm. And so it became this sort of reinforcing cycle. Um, and I have had, you know, there have been multiple times when loved ones have said to me, like, you, you, you need to think about this. Um, you know, I've definitely had, you know, um, my wife has brought up me multiple times. Multiple people have. Um, but, you know, in those cases, it was too, uh, too in my face. I think a little too upfront. And so I just like refused to accept that. But then when I got to a point where I thought I might need help, that's when I started reaching out to other people, but not fully, right? It was just kind of like definitely a toe in the water sort of thing. So there's obviously, you know, sort of this perception that we have, um, not only of AA meetings, but just of, of not drinking in general and what life is going to look like over there. And like that can be really scary. And yeah. this idea of, um, do you think if there was, if there was something that made it okay five years ago to sort of say, okay, you know, let's, let's look at this without one of the things that what I'm getting to is one of the things that really kept me stuck was this idea that, um, I would have to stop drinking forever. And now mm -hmm. I've chosen to stop drinking, but that feels very different to me than I'm going to have to. And so that that kept me really, really stuck and, and um, yeah. fearful, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, it's right. It's what they say in AA, the whole one day at a time thing. You know I mean, it's, it's being able to look past that and yeah, it is scary as hell. Like I know, um, <clears throat> especially with the amount that I did it and the comfort that even though, you know, it was causing me turmoil, there still was some comfort there. And the idea of getting rid of that, is scary. And then the whole thought of like, what do I do when I don't have that? You know, I, I go to a lot of conferences and there's a lot of cocktail hours. I go to barbecues and like, what do I do now? You know, I've since found that it's like a superpower at a conference because <laughs> everyone else is, and I'm collecting business cards and making appointments left and right. But like, uh, it, it, it is, it is a scary, you know, it's a scary, uh, potential thing to, to go through. Yeah, I love that. It is it is like a superpower. I did a year of, of working in corporate after I quit drinking, and it was amazing how much you think that it is so contributing to, at least I did, to my ability to market and, and do different things. But really, it was just, it just wasn't. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, what I found, I so I'm in sales, so we're in similar situations. And, you know, I found that I would have anxiety leading up to this event, like, oh, I don't know anyone here, and like, what am I going to do? And, uh, you know, alcohol definitely helped calm that down. Uh, but that 
is the only thing that that helped me with. Like I didn't, I definitely now have much more substantial conversations and I have, you know, I think more productive meetings, um, at least on my side of the table. And that's, that's been well worth it. You know, that's been well worth it. And I learned the trick right off the bat. Uh, my mother-in-law also, uh, has a problem with drinking and she told me like, as soon as you get there, put a drink in your hand, like mm -hmm. just go get a soda water or something. So I cut out that awkward conversation and then it's like no one noticed. Like right. it was just, you know, the night went on. So Right. And and the whole time yeah. you're watching people get sloppy and you're thinking, and I'm not, woohoo, good for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. So what was um I know there's like lots of different different points along the journey, but was there any sort of pivotal moment where you're like, okay, now now I'm ready to to get serious about this? Um, there's a few things I think. So one, I joined the, I, I'm part of a, uh, online sort of self-improvement group. Um, and it's intense and we really push each other and I love it. Um, and I joined that, when did I join that? In maybe December of last year. Um, and I quit in May of this year. Um, so, you know, we, we do these plans and we have these goals and we hold each other accountable and, you know, they were just, I would go so far and then I wouldn't like quite make it all the way. And, you know, I, and I knew the whole time, the whole time I knew like, all right, I'm making gains now, but I am only going to go so far, um, until I need to take care of this. Cause I need to have my evenings, right. I need right. to have, you know, you need to be fully aware. And so, um, that was a big one for me, like right around the April, May timeframe is when I, when I just realized like, all right, so the, the easy stuff is done. Like, in order to take the next steps, there's some things I have to do. And so um, that was a big thing for me. Um, another big thing for me, you know, again, was reading your book. And that stuck with me. I mean, but I read it maybe six months before I quit drinking. Um, and, uh, you know, I tried to quit right when I read it. And then I'm like, well, it says here that it tastes bad. I should make sure that it still tastes bad. You know, like, right, is right. that true? And like, but it was this whole process for me, right? right. I mean, either way, that, that liminal thinking, it, it stuck in my head. And so I, I kind of had that going on in the background at the same time. Yeah. Um, and I really say it was those two things that really were the thing that pushed it. I mean, I wasn't, because I wasn't at a like destructive point with it, you know, I mean, it certainly wasn't good for my health, but it wasn't like, you know, my, was, you know, my family was falling apart and my job was in jeopardy. And I mean, I'm much better at handling all that stuff now, but um, it really was kind of those things of this sort of drive to self-improvement and then realizing this, I got to get this out of my way if I'm going to keep growing. Oh, I love that. I got to get this out of my way. I'm going to start quoting you. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, I just came back from a, um, a conference with a bunch of just some of the most brilliant entrepreneurs I've ever met. And so many of them don't drink. And that's exactly why it was like, this was holding me back, you know, yeah. When you become an entrepreneur, it's like your time is money. And so these people are building these amazing businesses and they just realize that they are giving up time, that they don't want to be giving up to being hungover, yeah. to drinking itself, to being drunk. And, you know, it was just, yeah, get that out of my way. And so yeah. I talked to a couple, they just stopped drinking 14 years ago and it wasn't, there was no method about it. It was just basically like, it's, it's time for, for this to be the next thing that kind of goes. And, um, it's just, you know, and I, and I love that too, because it's amazing to be able to see, okay. So if we go back to that really bad analogy of like, okay, alcohol is the driver or whatever, or maybe I'm on the train. Um, like that car for me was going to bad places. 
And I could see that once I became aware, like I could see that it was headed to, you know, ugly, scary places, Mm -hmm. but it hadn't really gotten there yet. And so getting out of that car before I was forced out of the car, before it crashed and I had to leave it anyway. I mean, that's, that's like, I'm so passionate about trying to make this a mainstream conversation for that exact reason. You know, there was an article on CNN that came out just this week. It said one in, one in eight Americans abuse alcohol and they're defining abuse as very heavy drinking. I guarantee you a much higher number. I mean, number one, one in eight is a huge number. I mean, it's absolutely yes, huge, yeah. but then I guarantee you're much higher number. are not happy completely happy in their relationship with Mm -hmm. alcohol or want to be drinking less. Um, So I love that. Give it up, get it out of your way and, you know, just, just get off the, get out of the car, you know, before, before something goes really wrong. I think that's the conversation we need to start having and anything that we can do to make that a less scary conversation for people because of, I mean, there's so much fear around thinking that you're going to have to commit your life to giving it up. I mean, that's, that's, I think, one of the things, and you probably have more experience with this with your father being in AA, but um, the people I know in AA, it is a lifestyle. So there is a new set yes. of friends. There's a new, you know, Sunday night activity. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very much a lifestyle as much as going to church is a lifestyle or being, you know, part of a corporation is a lifestyle. Like it, it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you're right about that. One thing just about what you said earlier, that the driver analogy actually isn't that bad in the sense that like you do hope that you can turn right i mean that's that's the thing is that you know you you feel like the car is going in a bad direction but maybe there's still time and that when you're on the, at that point before something catastrophic happens but while you simultaneously know like there's issues here um there's always that thought of like well maybe i can just do this or just do that so i i know that feeling well and then in you know in Regards to AA, yeah, I mean, my, you know, my dad is is avid, is, has been going now, geez, I think it's been like 15 years consistently, um, and is, you know, is is one of the people that is, you know, really looked up to, you know, at, at his home group, and um, my best friend is also an AA and has been, he's been off and on for the last couple of years, um, but on more than, uh, on consistently now for, I think, about a year, Um and I, I tried that, you know, I tried that, that path. Um, it, it, it wasn't for me, you know, it wasn't, I think, uh, why well, I, I did it wrong anyway. Like I quit drinking and about 60 days in is when I went to my first meeting. Um, and that's mostly cause my buddy, my friend who's in it was up at my place and he's like, come with me to this meeting. And I thought, yes, great, let's do it. Um, and, you know, the first the first meeting was very emotional, like just meeting all these people. It was a huge meeting, too. There were like 70-something people. The room's packed. Um, and they were celebrating anniversaries of people like 15 years and 20 years. And I'm like, this is fantastic. Um, and I went back to a few more meetings. Um, and particularly knowing that it worked for, you know, my, my best friend and my dad. I'm like, this is, this is great. Um, but at that point, and this sounds really strange to say, I mean, it, but not drinking wasn't necessarily my problem at that point. Like, and, and that's what a lot of those meetings focused on was like, oh, today was really hard for me to not drink. And I don't mean to belittle anyone's struggle with that at all. That wasn't what I was struggling with. Um, I was struggling with what the hell else to do with my time, right? Um, and in the change of habit and all of that, but not picking up a beer was not an issue 
you know, once I got over the first, you know, few weeks. And so um, I actually kind of, kind of moved out of AA um, and just, I, I haven't really been back. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't that, that wasn't the thing for me. Um, I think it's such ahead. a, it's such a cool thing because um, this conversation is awesome because AA is the thing for people, you know, certain people, mm-hmm. like it is the thing when you need to focus on this on a daily basis. And when not drinking, if you have 70 people who can, like, you can go to a meeting and you're struggling not to pick up the beer and there's 70 people in the room who are going to encourage you and give you like, you know, social proof. And like, that's phenomenal. Like that's unreal. So um, I guess just let the record show that I think AA is amazing. I just also think that similar to you, um, that wasn't my problem. Like I didn't, once I kind of changed my mindset, I remember going to Las Vegas and I had a girlfriend uh, call me up. She was in AA and she's like, just so you know, I know it's your first trip to Vegas. I'm going to be on speed dial. You can call me any time of day or night. Like you can totally rely on me. And, yeah. and I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, well that's cool. But, but why, <laughs> like, why would I need to call you? <laughs> yeah. Like there's yeah. not, I'm not tempted. You know, I don't, I don't sit here with this. So I haven't, I haven't quit because, it's something I want to be doing that I'm no longer allowing myself to be doing. And I've quit because it's something I no longer want to be doing. And I think that's a really, really interesting distinction. And I think people can get there to where they no longer want to be doing it because they've actually gone through um, the life work. And that's another thing that AHA has that's amazing. And it has a set of steps to like take you and rebuild your life. But equally you're saying, you know, you weren't even, really drinking in high school and stuff. And I think that when, um, so you knew how to deal with emotion, you knew how to deal with certain things. So it wasn't as if you had to rebuild this broken life. It was just as if, okay, so now I'm not doing that. So now what else am I going to be doing? You know, and that's really cool. Yeah. What else do you do? I, I'd love to hear. Well, I, you know, I do a few things. So I, obviously I told you I'm very involved with that, that group uh, online, but I've actually also started helping other people quit drinking. Um, and a lot of it has been through that, but I also work with, with people outside of that. And I, you know, I work, I have a full-time job, so I, I don't take on, you know, more than, than three or four people at a time, but you know, I do exactly this. I have, uh, I have video chats. Um, I, they have access to me all the time. So text messages and all of the ways. Um, but I got to that through studying more. I, my hobby became studying the science around alcohol um, and addiction in general. Um, and so I read a lot of books and because I have that sort of all that knowledge now and sort of that passion for that, that's been something that I've been, that I've been doing. Um, so yeah. And you know, it's, I guess that's the 13th step in AA, you know, and that's something that that's what it's called, right? Yeah. It's after, I can't remember, but anyway, like that's, that's the point where, you know, eventually you, you work the steps and then you help other people do that. Um, I'm doing something, I guess, parallel, but different. Um, and, and I also became really interested in the different sort of views and ideas around addiction. Um, and even, you know, the question of is addiction a disease or how, how it's been treated over time. And I just, I got absorbed in this stuff. So I've just, I've got a library full of books and I, and I, I'm passionate about sharing that information and, and having those conversations with people. Oh, I love that. So, um, are you looking for, for more people or are you like, are you, absolutely. You, yeah. I'm, right, I'm well, always, you know, tell us where to find you there. then. That would be great. Yeah. Tell the listeners sure. where to find you. Yeah. So I'm at scottpinyard.com. That's S C O T T P I N Y A R D.com. 
Um, and I have an email up there. There's a way to get a, there's a way to get in touch with me. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a very rewarding thing for me. Um, and it's been, it's been a lot of fun, a lot of fun to do. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. So, um, so now I'm going to pick your brain on some of your knowledge. So sure. what, what about the, what, what have you learned about, you know, the disease model versus not the disease? Like where, where has this led you? What are your own kind of theories? I think the biggest thing, actually, I have the book right here. Um, there's a book called The Biology of Desire um, by Mark Lewis. Have you read it? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one probably spoke to me the most. And honestly, I think I might owe the library money for this book at this point because I haven't bought it yet, but I've renewed it so many times. Um, but I think that the, the, the thing that really struck me, um, well, two things. The, the idea of the disease model in general never seemed to fully fit for me. Um, I think logically it just, because I think of like cancer as a disease or, you know, I think of diseases as diseases. And it always seemed weird to me that you were, someone was having a disease that had a disease based on, you know, repeated, you know, a repeated exposure to something. And I understand cancer and stuff like that are certainly that way. But this was something that was in under someone's control. Like, the disease for alcoholism I see is, you know, cirrhosis or liver damage or all the myriad of other things. That's the disease. But the actual like addiction side of it, I don't know. I just it never really made sense. And so um, I really started to get into uh, understanding the, the neuroscience behind it. And one of the things uh, that Mark Lewis talks about in this book is that it might not be that it's actually a disease. It's more that your brain's working exactly as it's supposed to. Um, with the idea of the, you know, reward pathways and, and how our behavior gets, you know, developed into habits over time, um, that that's what causes the addiction. Um, and that's, you know, maybe causes might not be the right word, but that's what sort of gets us into that addiction mindset. Um, and that's been very interesting to me. It really mapped my own experience. You know, once I got over kind of, um, the way I talk about it with some of the people I work with is it's like, you're looking at the woods and there's a path that you take every day on the way home. You need to just take a different path and you're going to have to blaze the trail and eventually that other one grows over. Um, and that is a very simplified version of the analogy, but that's, that's been the, the thing I think that's been the most fascinating to me. Um, I'm a big science guy and uh, that's the sort of stuff that I, that I like to read. Um, so I focused on that a lot and I also focus on um, what it means so the reason that AA was, I think, tough for me, because it wasn't that I, I, I just didn't want to focus on not drinking. I wanted to focus on other stuff. Um, so also sort of the focus of what, what else do you do with your time? You know, what else? So now you're getting rid of this. What are those other things? And, and I really like how I really like helping people think sort of optimistically and big in terms of goals and ideas and things they can do and like help try to set them up to do that. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, in terms of the biology of desire and stuff, I, I love that because what it means is that nothing is wrong with us. You know, Mm -hmm. we weren't born this way and guess what? We're just, we're just reacting how anyone would react when a toxin that equally is toxic, but also stimulates these reward centers in unnaturally high ways and levels our brain is functioning exactly how it should function. Um, I will say that I think once you have, you can, so if you equate it to cancer in a way, if you're, if you're born with cancer 
like very young children can, can have cancer and, and there's no rhyme or reason, right? Or actually, let's use a different analogy. I, and I might mess this up because I, my knowledge of diabetes isn't, isn't great, but I believe that there's two types of diabetes. And one is one that you're born with and one is one that you get because of exposure to um, sugar or carbs mm -hmm. or whatever. And so if you are born with it, uh, you know, there's just not a lot you can do. But if you are getting it from exposure or from lifestyle, then it also creates in you an inability to produce enough insulin, right? So like the outcome is that you do have a disease, but it's not a disease that was innate or inherent. It ends up being kind of a disease that because of the repeated exposure to the toxin, your body has developed um, this disease. And I think that that kind of, for me, really encapsulates it because both sides are, are almost covered. And of course, I mean, this is, is still, we're learning new stuff every day, which is one of the, the coolest and most exciting parts about this journey. But uh, it, not only is it not a disease in terms of like, okay, well, throw my hands up. You know, I was born mm -hmm. into this alcoholic family. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm just screwed. Uh, but equally, the caution of knowing like, if you keep doing that, you will actually change how your brain works. Like alcohol over time will reduce the number of dopamine receptors in your brain. That means that you will feel stimulation less. That means that you will not be as, you know, engaged and excited in things that used to make you engaged and excited, right? Um, and so it kind of, it is not your fault. There's nothing that you were born with. There's nothing wrong with you. But then also, um, but, at a certain point, you know, you can definitely cause disease-like characteristics inside your body, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the idea of the disease model really came out sort of in opposition to the moralization model, right? That, like, it is your fault, like you were saying. Like, it's, it's your fault, you're just weak, you're whatever. And that, that was for a long time and actually to some extent still is a, a pretty widespread um, sort of theory around this. Um, and I think the disease model was a way for people to talk about it with language that would take some of the blame away. Um, and, you know, I think also, you know, honestly, it's a lot easier to, to get funding and stuff to research diseases than it is for, uh, I don't know what you would call that, a moral failure or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, and I, I, I totally see that and I understand it. But, you know, at the same time, like I said, I feel like the disease is the end result, kind of like what you were talking about with the diabetes. The disease isn't eating too many carbs, or the disease isn't leading a health, an unhealthy lifestyle that gets you to that point. The disease is the end result of that. Um, and I'm really interested in what we can do between now and that 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 time to to change things. Um, and it's it, it's it's possible, and it's exciting to see people do it. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love it. So two more questions for you. Um, first, what, what has been kind of the most surprising thing for you? One of the things that you just thought, okay, well, this, this is super surprising about not drinking anymore. I actually like mornings. Um, I, for <laughs> such a long time, for such a long time, uh, thought I'm just a night person and I don't like mornings. And honestly, I really do get a, I get a burst of energy around 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And that just means I need to be in bed before then. But um, you know, I get up early, uh, you know, I get up way before the rest of my family. Um, and that's when I do my workout and that's when I do my stuff for the day that I want to, you know, for, um, my, my group and just the things that I do and sometimes prepare for calls and stuff that are happening later in the day. Actually, last week I had a call at 
4.30 in the morning with someone in Australia that I'm working with on this stuff. So, um, but yeah, that's probably the biggest surprise is I actually enjoy that, you know, and, and by the time I get up and make some coffee and I'm, I'm good to go. Oh, that's so cool. Okay. And then my next question is, um, if somebody is thinking about this, you know, or if they're like, Oh, you know, I heard of this naked mind and I'm just kind of thinking about it. What, what advice, like, what would you tell yourself when you were kind of on the other side? What advice would you give? How would you allay their fears? And, and what would you tell them about what it's like on this side of the fence? Um, well, a few things. I mean, in terms of allaying the fears, I think the first thing I would say, and, and you say it in the book, is you don't have to stop drinking, like, right when you read this book. Um, I think one of the most powerful aspects of it for me was that I kept drinking, after I read the book, but that those thoughts were in my head. Um, and I think that is what that's, that's such a big part of what actually pushed me to make the decision and, and be able to commit to it, you know, cause I'd tried before and it just didn't really work out. Um, so that would be a big thing is, you know, to, to get that knowledge and, and, and think about it, don't react to it emotionally, totally, you know, get, get some other, some other information in your head. Um, and then live with it and, and see what that is like for you. Um, and I forgot the second half of the question. I'm sorry. Yeah, just what would you tell your, your former self about what it's kind of like on this side? Oh, I, hmm, that's a good question. Uh, it's not, it doesn't suck. I, I think for a long time that was, uh, that was kind of where I was, was that, man, this is going to be boring and all my friends drink and what am I going to do at parties and all of this, all of that stuff doesn't matter at all. Um, and honestly, you know, when it comes to not drinking at parties and groups, I don't normally bring it up. I just order something else. Um, cause you know, like you pointed out in the book that can make things awkward if you say, Oh no, I don't drink. Um, but, um, it is, it is so much better. I mean, I, I and you know, you hear that all the time and it's kind of, kind of cliche, but I would say, you know, being, more productive personally, because I have a demanding job. And that was, that was a big part of all of my, you know, waking hours was making sure that I was satisfying the requirements and exceeding the requirements for that. Um, but I, I didn't have as much time for myself personally. And so now I, I have that time, you know, whether it's being clear headed, you know, after I'm done with work at night, or, you know, waking up at 4.30 in the morning and having two, three hours before someone else gets up, like that's something that's possible for me now. And because of that, I've achieved things. You know, I've, I've hit goals. I've, I've, done, I've done more than I thought I possibly could. Um, and, and not drinking has been absolutely central to that. Oh, that's so cool. Now I have two quotes. Um, it doesn't suck. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> that's so cool. That's great. Well, yeah, I mean, you know what it's like. I mean, when you're when you're staring at that, it's just it just seems like it's terrible. So yeah, it does. It's <laughs> terrifying. And then you're like, what if only I would have known? <laughs> like, if only I would exactly. have known. Exactly. Uh, yes. I wouldn't have wasted so much time. It's crazy. Um, well, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Very cool. Anything else? Uh. Not that I can think of. I mean, I just, like I said, I would encourage people to learn as much as they can about it. I know for me, that was a path. And and actually, maybe one other thing is that, you know, um, AA and, you know, AA is something that has helped a lot of people and is kind of the, I guess I would call it the cultural norm in terms of you got to quit drinking, it's time to go to a church basement. Well, it, 
isn't necessarily for everyone. And there are so many other paths out there and there's plenty of good, you know, other good programs. And so if someone is thinking about it, but struggling with the idea of AA or struggling with the idea of, you know, a program, I, I just really encourage doing some research and there's so many options out there. Um, you can find something that'll work for you. Yeah, I think that's really true. Like, you know, AA is, is awesome, but it's it's one way. And, you know, it, yeah. it works for one personality type or one group of people. And and this is this is not a black and white issue. There's a there's a huge spectrum of different people. So it's really encouraging to see that, you know, and, and just you're not alone because it is. Mm -hmm. I think the very vast majority of regular drinkers wonder about their drinking. Uh, I would I would bet my life on that. I mean, I know. I, I think you're totally right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we just don't talk do about it. Alone. Yeah, you do yeah. because you don't talk about it. Because when somebody says someone can come into, you know, a situation and be like, oh, I feel like I've really been, you know, drinking too much soda or eating too many carbs. And like, it's totally a kosher conversation. Somebody can even say other things, you know, but you come in and say, like, yeah. I feel like I've been drinking too much. Everybody's like, ooh, like, carrot, really? Right. Ooh. Well, I don't know if I yeah. want to have this conversation. It's like <laughs> exactly right, and then you end up you end up kind of you know alone in a room full of people, and that's weird. And the weird part about that is there's probably other people sitting right, right next there. to you or around that are thinking the same thing. My experience has shown that over and over and over because obviously I became public about it when I published the book, and then people are like, oh, "Me too." I mean, I can't tell you how many people from my high school, from my former yeah. job, from my social yeah. circles, from my mommy circles, from my like you know, groups at school, it's crazy. People just come up to you. Oh my gosh, me too. I've been wondering about this. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, I found the same thing with AA, the few meetings I did go to, I don't live in a very big town. Uh, so I mean, I'm in Maine, right? So, uh, I was surprised when I was there, the number of people I recognized from different places. And it was, that's, that's good. That's a, that's a good thing, you know, right. to, to kind of see, to see other people, uh, going through it. Yeah, we're all putting on this show, and uh, if we just get honest about it, we, we'd all be in a better place. Um, this has been yes. great, Scott. Thank yes. you so much for joining. I really appreciate your time, and it's it's been a really good conversation. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. It's been fun. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.